I had to learn a lot about it before I was even able to fully comprehend what I was supposed to be doing. Welcome to Profession Session with Brody Vinson. Got my guest Jordan Vinson here, Hello. my sister. Nice Great to have you, Jordan. Great to be here, Brody. I am uh, excited to get into this. I am too. So you have a pretty unique story of kind of what you've done with your career so far. I wanted to start with that. Let's maybe start at the beginning of, so you're not currently in the food industry, but you have kind of a a relevant context that goes into what you're doing now that started in the food industry. Let's start from the beginning. I would say so, yeah. So I started out um, working at Subway, a nice little sub shop. Um, it's a good place for a first job. It's very fun there, but um, I've always been, you know, obsessed with food. I love cooking. I love piecing together food. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love cooking for people. So I kind of immersed myself in that job and I just loved it. I love talking to people, serving people, like making their sandwich to perfection as silly as it sounds. Like it's just, it's just like the little things to me. So the attention to detail required. Absolutely. And you know, like just the experiences with people, you just kind of catch them when they're like ready to get their food and you have the option to like make their day a little better. It's just, it's all very exciting to me. So with that, like I just, found my love for working in the food industry. And from there, um, I just kind of looked for jobs that were like that. I mean, I just kind of applied to restaurants and just wanted to try out all of the different experiences that restaurants have. I worked at a sub shop. I worked at like a little bar and grill. Um, and then I worked at like a high volume bar for a while. And that was probably like my favorite because you just get to talk to so many different kinds of people and it's so fun just like being in that environment because everyone's just like having a good time and you're just you're helping them have a good time you're facilitating good vibes and good times good vibes only <laughs> i live by so you worked at a sub shop a couple restaurants a bar and then what came after that because obviously by this time you've accrued some experience to speak of and so Typically, you know, the normal progression of that is to kind of move up the ladder a little bit. So what did that start to look like? Yeah. So um, with every job that I worked at, I just put 150 percent into it. Um, Working at a job that you like is actually like it, it makes you just have a lot more fun. Like you're you're really into what you're doing. And every job that I would work at, I just got noticed by the managers for just being you know, above par, like doing, going that extra mile for the customers and making sure that they're happy, like just working like crazy, honestly. And I I just enjoy working. So it wasn't like hard for me, but managers start to like take notice of that. And they, they, they like that and they want to promote you. They're, they're looking for people like that. Even if they're not making it known, they're always like on the lookout for that. So when they see you putting your a hundred percent plus into something, they're going to, they're going to notice that. So and when the time comes for a potential promotion or some kind of new position, you're, you're going to be top mind. of mind. Exactly. So I just stayed with that, stayed doing my job, doing what I loved. And 
Um, I actually like every job that I had, I got promoted. So with it's Sub- a good track record. Absolutely. With Subway, I got promoted to assistant manager. So I was, you know, overseeing a team of people. And with that experience, then at my restaurant, I got promoted to head server. So I was kind of in charge of like the whole serving team, making a schedule for people and just kind of delegating tasks. And when I started doing that, I just realized how good I was at it and also how much I liked it. And so um, I would say the job that really like kickstarted me into a little bit of a higher role is my job at Jersey Mike's. Um, I started there as an assistant manager, which was already pretty great for me because I had never had like a steady like manager role, but I've been kind of in like a supervisor role. So I was a little nervous to start that, but it actually went very well. And I just, you know, did everything that they were telling me to plus more. And I was just always there. I always showed up. I always helped out if they needed extra help and just made it so that like they knew they could count on me. And the manager who I came in to be under, she actually ended up leaving and they just immediately looked to me. They were like, yep, you're going to be the new manager. So they just kind of tossed me into this manager role. So that's general manager of the whole store. General manager of the whole store, yeah. The only person above me was the regional manager, and he was just kind of the same role, but like for multiple stores. What were some of the differences in that role compared to the assistant manager? What were some of the new duties and responsibilities that you had? So one of the main things is making the schedule for everyone. You're in charge of everyone's schedule. You have to know what people, what days people are available when they're not. And that's kind of just has to be like running in your mind Um, because you're technically in charge of their whole working life. So you have to make sure that everyone's happy, but also that your restaurant's running correctly. Um, Another thing that was very new to me is I had to hire my own employees. I had to start interviewing people. Um, And when I took over as general manager, it actually was at a time where we were pretty understaffed. So that was a big thing for me is kind of like handling all of that and also finding some people to interview. And I had never really interviewed people. So it was kind of like I was learning as I went along and I liked it, but I was pretty nervous. And um, but I think I did pretty well. I found some really great employees and. I also, um, another big thing is that I was in charge of all of the inventory for the store. So I was in charge of the ordering and I was in charge of making sure that the cost was good and that our top line and bottom line sales were all in order. And that's something that was completely new to me. I never really... The sales? Yeah, the sales and just looking at P&Ls and looking through inventory, doing inventory every week. I would have to you know, go through every single piece of inventory in the store and make sure that it was right and then order correctly depending on like what the need was for that week. So it's a lot of looking at numbers, trying to figure out what you're going to need, like uh, projecting for future weeks, things like that. Um, What were some of the, maybe some of the start with the challenges and then from there maybe move on to some of the successes But first, what were some of the major challenges in that new role specifically of the the hiring and management? I would say my biggest challenge is that um, these kids honestly weren't 
very much younger than I am. And a few times I kind of figured out that they didn't take me as seriously as I wanted them to. That was a big challenge because my personality, I obviously want to be, you know, super happy, upbeat, friends with everyone. But at the same time, you can't, as a manager, be that for everyone and also have everyone respect you and listen to you. So it's about finding that balance. Absolutely. What were maybe some of the ways that you had to figure out how to assert yourself to kind of retain that command and make sure that everyone knew that you are the boss and that they can't just treat you entirely as your friend. They can't goof off. They can't mess around and things Um, like that. I would say that the biggest thing for me upon getting the promotion is I sat my whole team down and I had a meeting and I basically introduced myself, my role, and they already all pretty much knew me, but to the new hires, I would make it a point to kind of like reintroduce that and as well as introduce the new hires to the team and make sure that everyone felt like a sense of togetherness and welcomeness. Um, And also, I would say that people did try to take advantage of how nice I was because I like to give people chances. Um, A lot of times people would show up late and just assume that I'd be fine with it. And most of the time I was when it wasn't an issue. But I think the biggest thing is that you have to pick your battles as a manager. And when something is constantly an issue, you have to sit down with the person and respectfully tell them why it's an issue instead of just yelling at them or making them feel bad about it because if they don't understand like the repercussions of it they're just going to do it again and they'll respect you a lot more if you say it in a way that's not like condemning them in a way that makes a lot of sense i really like your point about explaining what the repercussions are because i feel like you know for someone who's not in the responsibility of keeping track of that stuff, you know, it can be very out of mind to just show up late and not think about the fact that if you show up late, this and this and this thing are not going to get done. And that could have consequences that might not be immediately pertinent to you, but have an effect on the business as a whole. Absolutely. So I, I think explaining those repercussions and keeping an open line of communication is a great call because they that kind of helps them feel that helps them see where you're coming from and understand you. Yeah. Really like that. And the biggest thing I would say is introducing everyone to each other, making everyone acquainted so that they feel more of a sense like they're messing something up if they were to do that. Like they, they have some kind of care for the people that they're working with. They have some camaraderie. So they don't they don't want to, you know, show up late and cause this person to have to do extra work or have them have to stay late for them. Um, that Team was a, building. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that was a big thing is really pointing out like, hey, listen, if you show up 10 minutes late, this person who's been here for five hours is going to have to be on their feet for an extra 20, 30 minutes just because they're going to be pissed. Exactly. And I mean, once I kind of showed, once you like point out to a person the other side of things of how the other person that they're doing it to perceives it and like kind of put them in their shoes in a way, I feel like they're much more receptive. I've, I've seen that firsthand that people are a lot more receptive when they put themselves in the situation and look at it like, okay, if someone was doing this to me, I wouldn't like that. 
Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges. And I really like the way that you were able to kind of overcome those just by trial and error, kind of going through it and really thinking about, you know, how to strategically change the the team building and the culture and everything. What are what stands out as maybe one or two of the big successes that you had once you had taken over that really were like moments that clicked for you and you were like, okay, I'm on to something here. This is working. Um, I would say once I kind of started getting a, a bigger picture of what it looks like to make top weekly sales, um, we did something where every week the stores that were in our franchise, we would get sent an email and they would all be like listed the top sales, second sales, things like that. And I mean, obviously, who doesn't like a challenge? Who doesn't like to win at things? Would you call yourself pretty competitive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you know the other managers of the other franchises and you guys have this little like game going on where you're trying to beat them and they're trying to beat you. And if you're focused on the sales of your store and it being a competition, it's good for your store and it's good for you. So I would say that once I started kind of realizing that like, okay, our store is making this much a week. It could be making more. There's little things that I could be doing throughout the day that would just throw an extra dollar on someone's ticket. So I got very, very deep into upselling and suggestive selling. And that was the thing because people just kind of want to, they want to be like, they want to I can't think of the word. <laughs> they want to yeah, be persuaded. They want to be persuaded. They want to be persuaded. And they're really, it's so easy to just be like, you're looking a little extra hungry. Hungry, You want to go for the long one, like the bigger sandwich? And they're like, you know what? Yeah, I will. And that's an extra like $5 on their ticket. So, And it I, adds up when you talk about maybe dozens of those during a particular shift or a day. Exactly. And people, there's so many different ways we can upsell. And what I did was I pulled my team together and I explained to them, look, like there are so many little things you can throw in there while you're bantering with the customer that that could be a sale. Like you could be like, oh, those cookies fresh out the oven. We just baked them 10 minutes ago. You want to you want to get a three pack? And you're just kind of like you can just throw that into the conversation. So I made it a point with my team like who can get the most upsells, who can get the most suggestive sells. So it was kind of like a game with them as well. They're all trying to be like, hey, you want to throw extra meat on that sub? Like you want to make it a giant? Things like that. And a lot of people took the bait. Now, um, were you ever incentivizing any of your team to be the top of that, like internally? Mm -hmm. What did that look like? I would offer them a $20 gift card to Chick-fil-A or like iTunes or something like that. Just I would get like a general consensus of what they would like. And most of the time it was food. They just wanted food. (laughs) They wanted different food than Jersey Mike's. So I gave them um, incentivize food sales with food. Exactly. Genius. Yep. (laughs) And they they just ate that up. Anytime I made things a competition, they were just they had more fun doing it than even like getting the prize. And I had a few people be like, I don't even want the gift card. Yeah. Like I just had fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So you kind of just develop this culture internally of. Com- friendly competition and and I mean that seemed to really have a lot of effect for you because one thing you haven't mentioned is I mean you kind of explained the whole weekly sales thing you were 
the top of weekly sales. We should touch on that. I remember yeah. for a number of weeks. Uh, it was we more could, like months, actually. Months. <laughs> so is that a weekly report that came out? Mm -hmm. So we would check the weekly sales. Um, the average of our weekly sales in the store before I started this whole upselling thing was around 19000 to 20000 a week. And by the time I had gotten everyone on board, it was ranging 24 to 26k a week a pretty solid sizable increase yeah. that's i mean quick math that's maybe 20 to 30 percent increase that's mm -hmm. pretty significant yeah and um another thing that i would do besides just the upselling and suggest suggestive selling is that we do catering and i kind of was thinking about it like who can i go invite to like order catering from us who would want to to get catering and that like I was thinking like football teams soccer teams volleyball sports anything like that and UNF is right down the street so just I basically um somebody who was on our team he's very very good at selling and sales and getting people to buy stuff and I noticed that so him and I had a long discussion about what it would look like for him to go out into the community and try to get people to order catering for us. And twice a week, he would go out and what we call grassrooting is basically just going around to car dealerships, anything like that, where people are like, there's a lot of employees and they have like a lunch break or something like that. And he would invite them to order through us and give them discounts. And we offer like little promotions and things like that. And a lot of people took the bait again. So that was another way that we raised the sales. And by the time all of those were in the works, yeah, I was top sales for a over a period of months, like just continuously every week. And you start to get some recognition for that. I remember you getting some major bonuses tied oh, to yeah. that and all kinds of stuff because, I mean, sales really is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And people from other stores were asking me like how I do it. And they wanted me imagine. to help them. Yeah. I'm like, all right, let's go. So all of a sudden you're not only managing an internal team, but you're essentially consulting for the type of sales that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that kind of catches us up to the sales aspect where you, where I really have observed that you've found this kind of love for and skill for sales. And that kind of brings us to your current position, which is a, a little bit of a newer position for you. So what is that position? Um, so I'm a sales manager for a company called Lumi Labs. Um, they sell... THC and CBD gummies and microdosing drops, kind of like a wellness shop slash, you know, like recreational enjoyment type thing. Um, and basically what we do is we reach out to places that would carry our products like um, vape shops, yoga studios, wellness shops, things like that. And kind of advertise our products, offer them samples, and usually people just want to go ahead and try it because our products really speak for themselves. But with that, like, I, it's a very different atmosphere because, for one, it's a work-from-home job. I've never had one of those before. But also, it's like you're kind of reaching out to people to try to get them to buy something instead of someone coming into your store already planning to. So it's a little bit different, but you can kind of use the same principles of like being excited about what you're selling. 
Now, something just occurred to me, and this is actually something I have not thought to. It's kind of me just putting a couple things together here. This is something I haven't thought to suggest before. And I don't know with your position whether you would be approved to do this or whether this is something you could kind of do on your own. But, I mean, to me, if you still have access to that person that you had on your sales team before that you had doing grass rooting... Mm. I'd say there's a potential there to maybe offer some kind of little consulting thing, like a, a side gig to that person and say, Hey, you go out and grassroots for me a little bit for this job that I have. There's a, there's a little bit of a bonus or a commission in it for you. Yeah. I didn't actually think of that either, but that's a really good idea. If they're, and I don't know if they're still available or if they've moved on to another position, but if they are, I'd, I'd say that could yeah. really be a big help to you. It could, I mean, for one, it could just expand. I'm sure there's some grassroots that you're going to be doing yourself, but um, it could just expand the the capacity that you have to Absolutely. do that that grassroots and expand your presence in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it really comes down to with sales is just ultimately cultivating your own team of people who are helping you do the same thing. And I would say, you know, you have kind of found yourself in this position now where you have that experience, you know how to build and manage a team with the culture. You also now are in potentially a higher leverage situation where you have the ability to make a higher commission on what you're selling. Oh yeah. So I could see some massive success in you kind of bringing some of those same principles. Definitely. Something to think about. For sure. So what would you say is something, you know, to someone who is finding themselves in a position in sales. What are some of the the things to consider when you're first starting out that can really help you maybe skip ahead and and just really get to that point of being able to to increase sales on a weekly and monthly basis? Yeah. Um, to start, I would say the most important thing is really, really knowing your product down to its core and being excited about it. Even if it's not your favorite thing, just finding the good parts of it to explain to someone that make it sound just like, I mean, the person who's selling it is excited about it. I should be too. And um, the more information you can give to someone, the more prepared you sound. People, I've realized, can have some pretty good questions. And if you get stumped on a question, then you're not looking so great. And I mean, that happened to me a few times. So I just figured, you know, I'm going to learn everything I can about this product and I'm going to be excited about it. And I'm going to show that in my voice and my demeanor when I'm on the phone with these people. Another thing I would say is that when you're going into a sale, you just have to know that you're going to make that sale. And that's assume prob- the sale, assume the sale always, because if you assume the sale, you can pretty much talk them into it right off, right off the bat. If, if they, if you have it in your mind that like this person's going to buy this product, I just have to explain to them why they're going to buy it. You're most likely going to make that kind of just manifesting it. And you're the way you talk about it is going to follow. Exactly. I love that. So, um, so that kind of catches us up on where you're at currently. Um, another thing I wanted to get into obviously is just some of the stuff we've been doing together, you know, Mm -hmm. without getting too deep into it. We have been put in a position where currently we are, you know, we're selling a company. So I wanted to just talk about some of the challenges of that because that has been 
a massive undertaking that neither of us really had any experience in. And it's been, um, you know, it's been a whirlwind. It's been quite a learning experience, though. So I kind of wanted to get into that. Yeah, um, it's funny because when I was working at Jersey Mike's managing, I was kind of just getting a taste for what it's like to manage a company. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of been thrusted into what it's like to own a company and now sell it, which is crazy. I never thought I would be here. But, um, you know, it's been an amazing learning experience. I feel like I've basically rushed my way through a business major in college without even, you know, going to college yet. But it's been it's been very, you know, there's been pros and cons, obviously, but I would say I am thankful for it in a way because it's really, really taught me a lot that I don't think I would have ever gotten if I hadn't done it. And it's really kind of challenged me to be on a higher plane of thinking and just carry myself a little bit more professionally than I used to. And I'm pretty thankful for that because it. I can see the opportunities that I'm going to be getting from it. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen a massive change in you through this whole thing just from, I mean, I, I've got to say you really stepped up and you've been an, an amazing partner to have for this whole undertaking because it is such a challenging thing that neither of us were very prepared for. Um, yeah. I wanted to get a little bit into some of the specifics of the process of selling a business and obviously you know, we're still in that process. It hasn't been complete yet, but I figured it would be interesting to kind of touch on some of those things. It's something I had no idea about. I could only kind of speculate at before I was in the process, but we have been lucky enough to have been given some access to, to different people and different resources that have really helped educate us on it, on the matter. Um, so Maybe you could kind of give your perspective. What was what was the beginning of that process? How did how did that look when we were first getting into that? Selling the business. Selling the business. Um, a lot of looking through old statements, old information about the company, and like I said, just kind of fully immersing yourself in the company, like you would with the product. If you were selling it, you just have to know what it's about. The company in this case is the product, I guess you could exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I had to learn a lot about it before I was even able to fully comprehend what I was supposed to be doing. And um, once I did that, it was really just a lot of looking through <laughs> product statements and money things and just a lot like, of financial statements. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've never really would have looked at those before. So it, gave me a lot of insight on to like what that stuff looks like, how to read it, which is awesome. Now I know. But um, yeah, it was just a lot of that, a lot of phone calls, a lot of... To get more specific, I remember there was one day where the two of us sat down on like a five-hour Zoom call and we yep. were essentially creating because we were, you know, we were given about half of a year of P&L, profit and loss statement, and so we essentially had to go through and track down all of the different expenses that would contribute to the P&L and figure out, all right, which ones have already been accounted for, which ones still need to be accounted for, 
and we had to kind of categorize those and add those into the whole thing and essentially fill out the rest of a 2021 P&L that so far had only gone through, I think, May. So there was these, you know, months of financial statements that we had to go through, and we weren't really brought in on this until October of 2021. So essentially, we had to backtrack and look through all these financial statements, one, just to identify all of these expenses and and income, um, you know, both sides of that. So tracking down all the financial statements, obviously there's a, you know, a number of different accounts involved in that. You got credit cards, checking accounts and, and merchant services online, PayPal, all kinds of stuff um, at play there. So we had to track all of that down at first, really not even knowing all of what to look for. Mm-hmm. And then we had to kind of consult from the accounting side to figure out, okay, how do these need to be classified? We had to kind of look at historical statements to determine how were these types of things classified before? How will they be classified going forward? Are we going to change anything? There were some suggestions that we took from different accounting professionals where they said, okay, actually maybe you probably should change the way this is classified because this is better from an accounting standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that was just a whole process. Yeah. And to piggyback off that, while we were doing all of that, we were also going through a whole audit. Which we didn't even know as we were getting into it. But yeah, all of a sudden we found ourselves with just with this audit that was ongoing. Mm -hmm. The IRS was doing an audit of the business. Um, So we were having to coordinate with our accountant um, and he was kind of having to tell us like, okay, we should probably change the way that we're doing this. Um, Because because there's a reason that we, that the business got audited in the first place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And we also had to create a whole new LLC for the business um, because of the audit. And we didn't really want that to carry over into once we started it up and And the business was under new ownership anyway so we had to kind of just reclassify that ownership through the vessel of a new llc Mm -hmm. so that we could you know so that we could legally operate um you know new llc same doing business as or dba yeah and that meant that we had to um not like a big Deal, but we had to change a few things that were going on in the business. So it was a little bit scary to kind of have to go in there and be like, look, like we know you've been doing it this way, but we're going to have to change it up. So there's there's a lot of difficulty that came in there. We had to kind of step up. And I, I don't know about you. I did a lot of research into management, started kind of reading up on it. And it still came as a huge challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my background, I was part of a startup at the time, still am. And um, we had a couple employees working for us. So all of a sudden it was this this huge jump and just all these considerations that I had never thought of before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really, really been a crazy time. But, um, you know, going back to the P&L, we'd, we'd ended up figuring that out. We We pulled all that together and essentially, so you had this period of accounting that had been done from January to May of 2021. And then there was this period from June to about October, which was the current day for us when we were getting started with all of this, that really we didn't know how to fill in. Um, so we we started kind of filling all that in. We 
identified all those expenses and everything, identified the various forms of revenue that were coming in and really just built that P&L based on all of those things under the guidance of, um, of our accountant. And uh, eventually, you know, that leaves us with this, this uh, solid 2021 P&L that tells all the, all the revenue. It gives kind of a top line of all the revenue that came into the company, whether it be through credit card processing, checks, cash, PayPal, et cetera. Um, so it shows all that. And then you go through and you classify each of the different categories of expense. So you got, you know, employee expense, consulting expense, like all kinds of different things. Um, you know, I would say there's what, maybe 20 to 30 different categories we yeah. had to look at and we had to kind of make sure each thing was correctly classified in each of those categories. Um, and that kind of involved looking at historical statements to see how they had been categorized before mm -hmm. just making sure to match up to that. But eventually, you know, we end up with this P and L of 2021 and then we kind of get to a little bit further in what the, the process of selling the company looks like, which is, so you take the, uh, you take the P and L's and obviously, um, we, the business had been working with the same accountant for a number of years. So he actually had records of, you know, previous year P and L's for us to look at from tax returns. So he provided those to us going back a few years. Um, and then the, uh, the standard practice with, uh, with business valuation, it turns out is to kind of take those P and L's and, you know, project back a few years, usually three to five years of, um, of returns. And you kind of take the net income, meaning revenue minus all of the expenses. So what the, what the business owner is actually taking in, in cash flow, and you, you apply that to some kind of multiplier. And um, what we found is that that multiplier is tied usually not only to like the industry that the business operates in, but on a, an even more specific scale is usually tied into what is the, the loss of the previous business owner and how does that leave the company under new ownership? So if you have the, uh, we have a financial advisor that we work with that always uses this example he says, he always says, so you've got a kind of a scale of one to 10 that you could be using with that multiplier. And, um, you know, the business we're dealing with doesn't necessarily fall into either of these categories, but it's a helpful illustration is that you have on the one towards the one scale being, you know, the, the lowest multiplier, you have maybe a dentist, like a solo dentist with just his own practice. And you have, he's running one chair where he's just servicing clients in it all day. If that dentist disappears, you really have almost no business. You have a little bit of a client base, but they're used to dealing with that dentist. And if he's gone all of a sudden, in essence, he is the business. He is the business essentially. So you have that kind of on the one scale and then you scale that all the way up to something like Disney, like a, and this is not necessarily the example he always uses, but I think this is a good example. Something that's deeply, deeply established like Disney or actually Apple's a better example. Um, everyone knew Steve Jobs and, and his kind of legacy of being the CEO of Apple, founder and CEO. He unfortunately passed away a, a number of years ago now. And 
then Tim Cook stepped in as the new CEO and Apple really hasn't missed a beat. I mean, they have continued growing in the same manner and really have continued to innovate and be a top leader in the industry. So a company like that, that, you know, if, if it is to lose its top man and someone can step in and fulfill that role correctly, that's more of a 10 multiplier because you really have that sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you, whenever you are talking about selling a business, you're talking about new ownership. So that essentially means someone stepping in as that new role. So their ability to continue things at the helm without needing to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, you know, being able to rely on the processes that have been built. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of th- the kinds of things that get you up to closer to a 10. Those are worth more for sure. They're worth it's more. It's all about ease of transition and exactly. how, how easy, easily they can come into the company and just continue with what it's doing and even make more money. Exactly. And just keep the thing growing. And that's what makes a business worth it. And that's why there's those multipliers to make it a larger amount of money because it's worth that. And we, uh, in the situation we're in, are a little bit closer to that one, you know, dealing with a small business. Um, you, you have just a lot less of those processes built up. I mean, the business has been, for context, has been around for about 20 years. And there are a, a couple of employees. But those processes are not as, anywhere near as strong as something like an Apple or a Disney. So we're having to kind of build those processes and strengthen those processes going forward to make the business something really worthwhile Mm -hmm. for a new owner to acquire. Now, the other part that we haven't touched on with selling a business, obviously, is, you know, at the end of the day, something is only worth what someone will pay for it. So there has to be a market as well. Um, I mean, you, you could do all the due diligence in the world and in identifying what the price of something should be based on the data. But at the end of the day, you also have to kind of go out there and, and look at that market and make sure that there is a market for it. Absolutely. Um, and that, and the, the competition level within that market is going to really, you know, intrinsically boost the price or lower the price depending on the level it's at. Kind of like the, the real estate market essentially, Mm. where if there's, a ton of buyers and not enough houses to supply the buyers, the house prices are (laughs) going to increase. And if you have the opposite where people aren't really looking to buy in the market at the time, the house prices are going to be lower because it's only worth what someone will pay for it. Another thing, you know, parallel to the real estate market that I just mentioned that we've become aware of that, that I think is really interesting on a grand scale is that you know we're we're located in Florida here there through the whole pandemic has been this re, just this massive surge of people moving down to Florida because you know people are just kind of reevaluating what they're looking for and Florida has been just a favorable place for a lot of reasons for people to move to and along with that has come just a, a booming real estate market obviously because like we mentioned you have a ton of buyers and the the supply is not meeting that demand. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a great time to be in the real estate market because a lot of these people moving down are buying new homes. They're kind of packing up, 
selling everything. And so they're selling their homes and getting ready to buy new homes. They're also in a lot of cases selling their business. Mm. Um, that's another thing that I had not anticipated that we've kind of been made aware of is that a lot of these people moving down South are just kind of cleaning the house, selling their house and business. And they're coming down, buying a new house, buying a new business, whether it be in the same industry or a new industry. So yeah. that's, that's something that's fascinated me. They're looking for change. Just looking for change. They're, they want a new environment. And, um, if, especially if the business is very localized, you kind of have to get a new business. Definitely. And these people are coming from like New York, California, uh, they got kind of the big hubs. Exactly. Yeah. Specifically a lot of the places that have been most affected by the pandemic and are most mm -hmm. shut down. People, people have just kind of had it and they want to be somewhere where it's a little looser. They can do what they're used to doing. That's Florida for you. We party. <laughs> we go hard here. We go hard. Go, we, we work hard and play hard. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's been kind of the process and our experience with, with selling the business so far. It's been, um, you know, this huge learning experience. I've found, you mentioned you've found a lot of kind of knowledge in it and have really enjoyed that. I've found kind of a passion in it as well in that, you know, I, I foresee myself really trying to sustainably grow and sell more businesses over the course of my career. It's something that I you know, as, as difficult as it is, I think if you are, if you have the mindset of eventually selling it one day from the start, there's a lot that you can do to make it less of a headache and really have that, that process set in place ahead of time and have all of your accounting handled in a way that's conducive to a, to an easy sale and an easy transition. Um, so this knowledge is kind of, it's instilled in me a passion to kind of do that uh, going forward with, with my career. Um, it's been, uh, been a bumpy road, but one that I'm thankful to have traveled on. Yeah. I mean, it's better to have the bumps early in the road than to have them when you're more established and it can have a greater impact. Exactly. You're learning all these things when you're young so that you can pave the way and have a smooth road down the line. Exactly. So, um, you know, kind of transitioning from, you know, we talked about the past, now the present, what are some future aspirations that you have for this position that you're in with the um, running with uh, running the sales of the CBD and THC products that you're that you're working with now? I would what say, are some aspirations that you have for that going forward? I would say my biggest aspiration is to eventually have my own team of people doing the sales, um, running a team and just throughout this whole process, I've really found within myself just my, not even just ability, but like my enjoyment for running a team of people and being a leader. I really enjoy that. And I've found that I'm very good at it. So I think what excites me the most is to just kill it at sales so that I can grab a team of people, put them under my wing and just start going off going selling as much as we can and I feel like that would be a pretty uh, it's a, an attainable goal that I can I'm I know I can reach I mean you have precedent for it already I mean you've exactly. done that kind of thing already mm -hmm. I, I foresee you doing that now do you foresee yourself being a business owner at some point in the future definitely so what do you think that might look like well I would say like obviously I'm super into food um 
another thing I'm super into is like cannabis. And that's why I'm super excited about working for this company because they're all about that. But they're all about that in a legal way where they can legal and regulated exactly yeah so um learning about all of that's really like kick-started me wanting to create a business that incorporates both that and food and mix it together so how do you envision combining those two things well i'm pretty big on cooking with cannabis um i make butter and oils and things like that and I love to test out new recipes so um, being able to eventually sell those or provide some type of experience like as a private chef would but just beyond that is having the private chef experience but including cannabis in that experience so people who aren't really like drinkers you know how you have alcohol at dinner like drinks and stuff like that oh I know yeah, of course. It's the same thing. Except Done that a couple times. <laughs> it's the same idea, but just with cannabis instead. And there's just so many different things you can do with it, so many different flavors you can pull out of it. So being able to do that and just kind of like share that with everyone, that's my ultimate goal because that mixes one of my favorite things working with food and another one of my favorite things working with cannabis. And you, your experience so far has kind of prepared you and is continuing to prepare you to combine those things, I think. Exactly. So I, I foresee a really good potential business venture there. I do too. As you really start to wrap your head around the the regulations and the the laws around and the, the processes around all the, the cannabis, the THC and CBD stuff and continue to work on the sales side of everything, building a sales team. I mean, I, I think you could absolutely have a business doing killer numbers. So um, anything else that you would want to touch on just like in the kind of the world that you're in sales, um, running a sales team, the food industry, the cannabis industry, what are what are some other things that you would want to bring to the table as far as that conversation that maybe we haven't touched on yet? I would say one very big thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about being in charge of a team of people, working with a team of people, you need to make sure that you're very secure within yourself. That's one thing that I've been really, really, my eyes have been open to that um, through this whole experience. Just knowing that what you're doing is the path that you should be on and being secure within that. Because if you have those hints of doubt within yourself, then you're ultimately going to create this narrative of it's me versus everyone. And that's a really hard thing to come back from if you're in charge of a team of people and you're thinking that these people are out to get you or taking things personally that you shouldn't just because you don't feel like you're doing things the way you should. And you have that little hint of doubt and that creeps in and it, it can really, really start messing with you. And it's really important just to, just to educate yourself and focus fully on being the best leader that you can be and everything else is going to fall into place. I love that. <laughs> on that note of everything falling into place, I think 
that's a very positive and great place to stop. Absolutely. Jordan, it's been fantastic having you. Always a pleasure with you. This has been Profession Session. Signing off. Thanks for watching Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Profession Session on all channels. You can also find my guest from this episode at the tag and details of this post. Stay tuned for new episodes and short little clips of deep dives into specific topics across all of our channels. If you know a young standout professional business owner or entrepreneur with a unique or interesting story, DM us anywhere and let us know, and they may be the next tell it here on Profession Session. Until next time, stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking. This has been Profession Session.